So I, I just want to start with a, with a memory, okay? Uh, you might have had the same memory. And the first word that comes to the mind for me with this memory is the word freedom. Freedom. Uh, so for me, it was this. Um, I was 16 years old. It was the day I got my driver's license. You remember that day? It was every bit of 16 years in the making. You remember driver's ed? Like those hours where you're sitting in class, you're like, when am I ever going to learn this? Eight car lengths behind a Mack truck on a Tuesday in September in Nebraska. I got to remember that or I can't drive a car. And so like I remember these details and then I'll never forget uh, Coach Miller. You probably had a Coach Miller or somebody with a different name that showed up at your house 6 a.m. before school. Remember, driving around, you're 15 years old. This guy is the bravest man in the world, and he's picking up children to drive cars. I'll never forget when he, uh, when he took me out to I-95. It's the biggest uh, interstate near, near where I grew up, and uh, had to get on that road and go 70 miles an hour for the first time. It was exhilarating, and it was terrifying all at the same time. But what was even more terrifying was when the, the 15-year-old girl in the back seat switched places with me, and she was scared to merge, and I'm in the back seat powerless with nothing but a seatbelt to save my life. It's like, so there's, there's this building up moment. Then there's that awkward phase of uh, when you ride with your parents with your learner's permit, you know, and like me and my dad, we still need counseling from that series of life. Like we just, I was, obviously I knew everything and he was an idiot and, and then he learned, he taught me that I was completely wrong. Driving, freedom, the day came. I got my license. I remember my mom had a Pontiac Sunfire. They don't make those anymore, but it was red two doors, had the, had the sunroof, it was a stick shift, so you really feel like you're bad to the bone driving that thing, and we had the rolling down window thingies, you know, because we didn't have uh, the, the nice ones with the button, but, and I remember pulling out of my, my driveway for the very first time, for my very first outing, I was going to my friend Travis's house, and I hopped on the road, and this is, this is true, this actually happened, I remember looking over at the empty passenger seat, and realizing I'm the only person in this car, and I said to the passenger seat, so it's just me and you now, huh? Where you want to go? And freedom cruising. We had a, actually had a CD player in that car, which is like, man, state of the art when I was a teenager. Bumping some tunes, going to my friend's house. Freedom. Like, what does freedom look like for you? For some reason, when I think of freedom, that's one of the moments that comes to my mind. I just like, just free. I can just go do whatever I want to. I've learned now since things like, you know, car insurance and car payments and uh, car accidents, it's not all that it's cracked up to be when you're 16. But freedom nonetheless. What comes to your mind when you think about freedom? It could be a lot of different things. Uh, you know, hopefully you, you've seen the movie Braveheart, Mel Gibson, you know, he's William Wallace, and he's like, they may take our lives, but they won't take our freedom. And they, ah, and they, and they probably all die next, but it's okay, because they're screaming, because they're experiencing fighting for freedom, and freedom's a big concept in our culture. I mean, we've got, we're a free nation, right? We've got the Constitution, Bill of Rights, and all these things that protect our freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press. These are things that we, these are hallmarks of our society. Freedom is a big deal for us. Freedom. Now, I painted this picture of freedom this morning because I want to take us to that place of freedom. We're starting this new series called Unchained. It's a teaching series through the book of Galatians because a major theme throughout that entire book is the theme of freedom. And what it means to find ultimate freedom from our sins through Jesus and, and some other stuff, which we'll get into for the next month or so. But there's a lot of things I think we want to be free from. We, we want to be free from stress. We want to be free from debt. We want to be free uh, in, 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 uh, from, from struggle and from conflict. There's all these things that we want to kind of be free from. But we can't experience any of those freedoms unless we can really be free from the ultimate thing that changes us. And that is our separation from God, from sin freedom. Maybe you've got a past that you'd like to forget and be free from. 
All that is possible through the love of Jesus. Um, you might be here this morning and you're, you're new to church. Maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian or you're kind of like on the edge, kind of between a couple things religiously or faith-wise. I want to let you know, first of all, I'm pumped that you're here. I'm really glad that you're here. I hope that you'll come back. We want to be a church that invites everyone and you can totally just step in and say, let me explore faith here. And I want to say that like, if you've got a lot of questions about what Christianity is and what it's all about, this is a great series to be here because it's just taking a look at a kind of a fundamental book, a very short little letter written by Paul. We're going to be in Galatians, the whole book of Galatians throughout the month. We're going to be in chapter 1 today, so if you've got a Bible, go ahead and pull it out and grab it. Uh, before we get into chapter 1, we want to kind of get to know the book a little bit. So grab that. I really want to encourage you through this month uh, to have a Bible app on your phone. Be reading through the book of Galatians. If you're in a small group, that'd be a great thing to read through together. Uh, bring a, a, hard, a hard paper Bible with you if you've got one of those. And also, we've got Bibles under the seats. If you don't own a Bible or don't have a good readable version, take one. They're free. We want them to be a gift to anybody who needs one. Everyone needs a good readable version of the Bible. But let's get to know this book a little bit while you flip there. Uh, the book of Galatians, like many books in the New Testament, is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, which we're going to get to know Apostle Paul a lot here in chapter 1, to a group of Christians. Unlike many of the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, uh, you know, Philippians comes to mind, the Corinthian letters, the letters to the Thessalonians, these letters are written to kind of specific churches in a city or specific uh, areas where there were Christians. Galatia is more like a, it's, it's, it's more like a big, big continent almost size thing. I mean, not continent, but, but nation size thing. The Galatian area is what is like modern day Turkey. And so as he writes to the Galatians, he's not necessarily writing just to one specific group of people, but to a broader group of people. And if you didn't know this about the New Testament letters, actually the way that they kind of circulated was the apostles would write one and many times a scribe or somebody would copy it down and they would pass it on from church to church to church. This is definitely what happened with the churches in Galatia. Um, the theme of this whole book comes out of this struggle, this problem that the Galatians are dealing with. And we're going to get into that problem today. It's like you can't miss it in the first chapter. So we're going to get to that problem. But the ultimate solution to the problem, Paul says, is freedom. The theme verse of the whole book is probably chapter 5, verse 1, and it says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let ourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So freedom versus slavery. And we're going to see how that lines up for the Galatians. We're going to see how that lines up for me and you uh, today and throughout the rest of this series. So let's jump on into the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 1, verse 1, and let's dive in. Ready? It's going to be on the screen behind me too if you don't have it. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ the God and, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Most letters at this time uh, would start with the author saying his name, okay? Uh, but this begins with an assertion of authority. It's interesting, when Paul introduces himself, he says, Paul, an apostle. The title apostle is a, it's a title that, and the word itself just means someone that's sent with a message, a messenger. But it's a title that Jesus gave to some specific men in the Bible. And particularly, it's like an office in the early church. The apostles were the men who got to say, look, this is what Jesus taught us. This is what we're teaching you. They established kind of the foundational belief system of the church. And so Paul begins this letter by saying, I'm an apostle, which is pretty common to point out his, uh, his leadership. It's, it's important. If someone wrote you a letter and you'd be like, you owe us $100. You're like, uh, who are you? Oh, the government, I guess there's nothing I can do about this. Like when you know the authority that comes behind a letter, it tells you that you should listen. But Paul tunes it in even tighter here, and he takes a moment to further qualify himself. He says, I'm an apostle, I'm an apostle, but I was not sent by man. 
But I was sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He distinctly says, my sending is divine. Jesus himself did it. Paul establishes his credibility here. And in doing so, he says, listen, I know Jesus, okay? In fact, he's the one that sent me to you. Translation, you should listen to what I say. And as he establishes this credibility, we see that it's important that as we move on, let's just keep reading verse 3. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sin to rescue us from the present age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Like this little passage right here, actually this is a really good snapshot of what is Christianity? Like what is Jesus all about? I mean, he says, you know, Jesus came and he, and he gave himself for our sins to rec- rescue us from, from evil. And this is, happens through God. So it's like this, this very short and concise summary of what Christianity is. And honestly, from this sentence, we could go a lot of different directions. Uh, most of Paul's letters start something like this. And then they go into a direction like, and I'm so thankful that you're doing so well. Blah, blah, blah. And he teaches that church. Or, and I praise God every time I think of you. Blah, blah, blah. And he talks to that church. Uh, in this book, it doesn't go well off the, off the start. He takes this abrupt turn, turn at verse 6. And we're going to see immediately that Paul's not writing them this cordial letter to congratulate them on being so good. He's writing them for another reason. And this is actually the problem that he's writing to address. Look at verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You catch the tone of his letter? The Christians there are not living as Christians. Let's keep reading, verse 7. He says, this gospel that you're following, it's really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But listen, even if we or an angel from heaven should show up and preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, and so now I'll say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And so there it is. There's the problem. And we're going to spend the next few minutes just unpacking this problem that's happening in the Galatian churches and see what it means to us. The issue is, in a nutshell, the Galatians have started living by the teachings of some false teachers. Verse 6 and 7 kind of sums it up. It says, you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And there's some neat wordplay happening there. The word gospel means good news. And so he's like, you, you heard the good news, the good news that, that Jesus came from God and offers us a path through salvation. That's, that's the gospel. That's everything Paul has staked his entire life on. The entire church is built on that. That's what we teach here at our church. That's the gospel, right? And he says, but you have turned to another gospel. The gospel that you're going to see in just a second, what it is, is actually not any good news at all. It's actually bad news because the things that they were teaching are things that the people couldn't even live up to. Let me remind us this. I'm going to kind of boil down what the teaching was, this false teaching. See, Jesus' claim was that he was the long-awaited Messiah of the Jews. That's who Jesus said he was, and he proved that by raising from the dead. And there's, there, you know, there's lots of study on that. If there's something that you've got questions about, um, we've got some books that we can send your way. Just come and, come, and, uh, come and ask me about it. But that's the assertion of Jesus. That's the assertion of Christianity. And so it's interesting, as Jesus comes in as the Jewish Messiah, the original Christians were Jews, that, that's, you know, maybe you didn't know that, maybe you did. The original Christians were Jews, all of them. All the original Christians were Jews. That's just the way it was. And so what Jesus taught was the, the, the grace that I can give you, the sacrifice of me laying down my life and giving you a chance at new life, it's going to take place and supplant all other Jewish law. 
all other Jewish religious systems, everything else. You don't really need that system anymore because you've got me. And there's a ton of teaching about that in the Bible. And he says this, this is kind of what the the core of it is, that no amount of doing good things is ever going to be enough for you to measure up to God. That's kind of what the law is. Checklist, checklist, checklist. Can I do the good things? We also call that religion. It's a checklist of things we can do to please God. No amount of doing good things is ever going to allow you to please God. On the contrary, we do good things because of God's forgiveness and grace. That's Christianity in a nutshell. It's what we teach here. It's what Christians believe. The good we do is because of God's grace, not a way to earn God's grace. But here's the problem for the Galatians. See, there was this group of Jews. They didn't buy that. They didn't like it at all. They were not okay with people not following the law. And there were certain uh, parts of the law that they believed that even Christians should still follow and honor. Now, this is interesting. These are Jewish Christians. But they were still kind of holding on to the old laws. Like, they didn't really get what Jesus had done for them. There were three big practices of the Jewish uh, legal system that they, they encouraged and basically forced some of these new non-Jewish Christians to follow. The big three were this, circumcision, eating a kosher diet, and observing the Sabbath day. These are three big things. If you know much about Jewish history, you, you know that those are big things for them, okay? Now, now, here's the problem. These new Christians, one, Paul never taught that they had to do those things to be saved. And two, they didn't because Jesus doesn't require that. Let's go through them. Circumcision. It's a big problem because many of the non-Jewish converts were men. And they won't have none of that. They're like, what? what? To be a part of your club, I got to do what? I won't go into that. You can ask your mom and dad. The other thing was a kosher diet. The kosher diet was, was foreign to these, these uh, non-Jews, right? They're just, what, what, what is a kosher diet? Now, if you don't know what that is, the Jewish uh, faith said in, in the Old Testament very clearly outlines it. There are some foods that are unclean, some things that are clean, and you can only eat the clean foods. And so there's a whole list of things that you can't eat as a faithful Jewish person to remain ceremonially clean. Well, the non-Jewish people, they didn't even know where to begin with a kosher diet. And again, Paul's like, no, you don't have to worry about that. The third thing was this whole Sabbath day thing. Uh, The Jews observed a Sabbath, a day of rest and worship. They set it aside as holy. By the way, still a great idea. A day of rest, a day of uh, of renewal, a day of worship. Uh, The Christians, however, began to celebrate that day on Sunday because that was the day Jesus rose from the dead. And so we're going to do that anyway. And the whole Sabbath principle, principle was a, a little bit different for Christianity. Still good ideas, but not a make it or break it, heaven or hell type issue. Now these Jews who believed that the Christians should act that way were known as the Judaizers. Judaizers. They had been going behind Paul's back. Paul had been establishing these churches in this region of Galatia, modern-day Turkey. And then as time passed, the Judaizers had been leaving up from Jerusalem. And they'd been coming through these churches. And they'd been coming to these new believers and saying, oh, you heard about Jesus? Great. We did too. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's our Messiah. He's our Messiah. Yeah, but are you following the Jewish law? Because if you're not following the Jewish law, then, yeah, God's, God's not going to be happy with you. It led to confusion. It led to division. It led to problems. And this is the reason that Paul writes the book of Galatians. It's the whole reason. Because he's writing to set the record straight. And so he starts this this letter out by saying, look, I wasn't sent by men or by a man. I was sent by Jesus himself. You got to understand the authority with which my message comes. And if anybody has taught a gospel other than the gospel that I taught, he uses some strong words. Let them be cursed. Paul's personal journey to Jesus is really important to the development of the early church. Uh, we talk about it all the time. Anytime I mention Paul from the stage, I make a point of some, at some level telling his story. 
And we're going to get a big chunk of his story as we look through Galatians chapter 1. Sometimes when you're watching a movie, there's this moment where the main character is about to go into like monologue mode. Uh, and, and you know this movie, like it could be like a crazy battle scene, like bombs are going off, bullets are flying over the head, and the main character feels like he's going to tell a story. And so the music, the music changes and like the, the camera kind of zooms in on his face and he's like, there I was. You know, and he's like telling the story. And like it doesn't matter, there's like explosions going all over the place. The other characters listen in like, oh, we need to know this. And this main character goes into kind of a backstory. And he tells like how I became who I am. How everything led to this moment where stuff's blowing up behind me. And this is kind of what happens in Paul, with Paul right now in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 1. Uh, kind of the, the, the dramatic music starts playing, the screen gets a little fuzzy, and he goes to, like, to flashback mode. Okay, so let's just look at verse 10. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? He's comparing, like, the Judaizers' word or Jesus sent me, you know, which thing? He says, or am I trying to please people? If I, I imagine, by the way, it should say this, right there. If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Can I get an amen? Right? Like, pleasing people is impossible. You can't do it. And this is where the dramatic music begins and his flashback starts, okay? Verse 11, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. If this were the movie, we would see flashbacks to Acts chapter 9, where you see Jesus visiting Paul on the road to Damascus, and there's a bright light, and there's this whole conversion experience where Paul realizes the error of his ways. In verse 13, he says, listen, you, you've heard of my previous ways in the life of Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God. I tried to destroy it, the church. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and among my people, many people, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. See, the Galatians, the people that he's writing to, they knew Paul's past. That's like the first thing he would start with. Hey, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you how God changed my life. They knew how brilliantly he knew the Jewish law. They knew how well he understood it. They knew that in many ways, there was a time in Paul's life where he probably could have really related with the Judaizers. Did you hear that? He said, like, there was a time when I knew the Jewish law better than anybody else, and I was excelling beyond my peers. So in some ways, he kind of, like, might be looking at the Judaizers going, man, I, I get you guys. I feel you. Like, I understand. You're studying this. You're just trying to do the right thing. But then there's another part of Paul's past. He says, you know how intensely I persecuted the church. This is a guy who was going around, he was seeking out Christians. He was like smoking them out of their houses and getting them to come out and deny Christ or die, that kind of thing. Today we would call him an, an extremist terrorist. That was what he was doing. If that happened in our city right now, we'd just be like, what is going on? We'd be scared for our lives. This was Paul. Paul, the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament. In our movie, this is the part where the, the camera gets real tight on Paul's face and you see he's got like little misty eyes and he's about to cry as he's remembering the best part of the story because what had happened was Jesus came to Paul and gave him a new chance, gave him a new mission and a new message, the gospel. Let's let Paul tell it in verse 15. He says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles? My immediate response was not to consult any human being. No, I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went into Arabia and later into Damascus. We're going to talk about that travel in just a second. But what he's saying is like, man, I was living bad. I was living completely opposed to God. Ironically, though he thought he was doing the right thing, he was aware of how wrong he had been. And God gave him the grace to have a new mission, a new message, 
and go out and change the world. And that, in fact, is exactly what Paul had been teaching the Galatians. It wasn't about how well I knew the law. It was about how much I trusted Jesus. It wasn't about what I did to earn his favor. It was about the fact that he showed me favor, grace, and forgiveness, and therefore I did good and sought holiness and righteousness. He says, look, look at my life. If God can save me, he can and he will save you. And it makes me think, like, if it's true for Paul, maybe it could be true for me. And maybe it could be true for you. In fact, I know for a fact that God can take a shameful, broken man and use him to help people. I'm a standing reminder of that to myself every day. And I help people, and I go sit with him. I sat with a friend this week, and I'm sitting across the table talking to him about some things going on in his life. And I'm sitting there going, God, why are you using me? Like, you know my secrets. You know the skeletons in my closet. You know what's going on in my background, but you're still going to use me? It's true, and God uses anyone who will call on his name and believe in Jesus. And so Paul continues this monologue, and he's going to share about how this change led to a lot of traveling to him. He said that he went to uh, Arabia and Damascus. We're going to kind of skim over verses 17 and 19. I'll give you the quick summary. Uh, so he ends up in Arabia for a little while. There's some cool things you can research on that, uh, looking at the book of Acts and also 2 Corinthians. Then he spends about three years in Damascus. We're going to find out in chapter 2 that he does some more traveling and learning and growing. And during that time, the coolest thing happens. Paul begins to come into his own with his face. Faith, I, I want to point out that he was headed to Damascus to persecute the church. That's when Jesus showed up and, and changed his life. Did you notice that he spends three years in Damascus after that? And we find out later that he was a part of the church there. Can you imagine being the Christians who are having church with Paul? Hey, everybody, uh, Paul's going to be bringing the, uh, the, the potluck lasagna this week. Paul, thanks for not killing us last year. We appreciate that, and I hope that you uh, make your grandma's recipe. Like, this is Paul, who not only has been embraced and accepted by the people he was sent to destroy and kill, but I believe they probably lifted him up and taught him and made him a better man because of that. That is the gospel. It takes our brokenness and brings it back to life. And that's what Paul experienced in Damascus. And so during all that travel, during all that time, this change starts to happen in Paul. And not just a change like on a spiritual level, though it did. Like Paul, quote unquote, would be churchy here, got saved, okay? Paul got saved. He was reborn. Spiritually, God looked at him and said, I forgive you. But it wasn't just this spiritual, ethereal change. It was a change that other people started to notice. Like, Paul had a reputation that would precede him when he would go into a city. They'd say, isn't this Saul, this, this, his other name was Saul, isn't this Saul that was persecutor of the church? Like, he had this, people were scared of him. He was an extremist. Yet something began to change in him. And in that first three years, this is really cool how this, this chapter wraps up in verse 20. He says, so I, I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. He talks a little bit more about his travel. He said, I went to Syria, I went to Cilicia, verse 22. He said, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard this report. This is the change that people saw in Paul. It's so short, but so powerful. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Wow. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. When I look at this room right here, I mean, I'm close friends with so many of you. I see a room full of people whose life could be summed up by this verse. I was someone who used to stand opposed to God, but God changed me, and now other people are learning to praise God because of me. That's the gospel. 
That's the change. That's the freedom that happens when we get in line with God wants for our life. And, and, and your lives and my lives, we, we don't tell that story because we've learned to keep the law perfectly. Because we never make mistakes. Because we never forget to read our Bible occasionally for like six months. Years. <laughs> right? But instead, because we just say, Jesus, I know you're the only way, the path to salvation. And I want to lean on you, and I want to grow closer to you every day. And out of your goodness, you've saved me. And so because of that, I want to do good things for you. And I want to seek holiness, and I want to seek righteousness with my life. Jesus' promises are that if we have faith in him, he will save us. And it's the promises of Jesus that should keep us going as a church. And that I think will set us free. Let's go through a few of those promises as we kind of wrap up today. John 3.16, you might know that from watching professional sports. (laughs) We're also going to read verse 17. Listen to this verse. It's not going to be on the screen. Just listen. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Listen to the second half. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. The promise of Jesus is like, if you will believe in me, if you will live for me, you won't stand in condemnation. You won't stand cursed. You might live in this world that's broken. You might have problems. But at the end of the day, you are my chosen, beloved, saved child. And I can use you to make this world a better place. And you can bring me glory with your life. That's a promise. The change in Paul's life wasn't because he was trying to impress God. But it was because God had given him a fresh start. 1 Corinthians 5.17 also won't be on the screen. I just want you to hear it because I want you to really tune in. Use, use your brain. Lock this in. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. These three I'm sharing right now are three of my favorites. We're reminded of another promise. It's so short, but listen. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. That's simple. If anyone is Christ, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. That's a promise. What's your background? What's your baggage? What's your, what's your hold up? What are the things that have been kind of dragging you away from God? Maybe you don't even know. Like I said earlier, you might be here and you're like, I'm at church for the first time in forever or in the church time, first time ever. Like, you know what? We all have conscience. We all have this part of us going, I think, I think we could do better. And Jesus says, I promise you newness. If you're in Christ, the old is gone, the new is here. And in this newness, we get to experience something that only comes in Christ. Freedom. Being unchained from whatever was in our past. Just like Paul. Just like so many others. And we can move forward and make a difference. It's not who you were when you were trying to just get by by following the right steps. It's it's who you are now that Jesus has redeemed you. And the thing is, because of Jesus, that, that shapes us and that makes us to who we can be now because of Jesus. At our church here, we say that we want to be God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And that thing about being grace-shaped is saying, I'm not going to allow my past whatever to define who I am. I will only be defined by the love and the grace of Jesus. That will be my battle cry. That will be my identity. And that's what I'll stand on. About Paul, they said, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. And about you, you know what they could say? The man who used to have a short temper and a terrible attitude is now showing people the peace of Jesus. 
And they praise God because of him. Or they could say, the woman who used to be uh, a little bit shady morally and be a little bit unreliable and have a bad reputation, that woman, she is now leading people to the holiness of God and showing people a different way. And they will praise God because of her. The college student who used to be focused on the party scene on the weekend, and that's totally why I moved to Wilmington in the first place. It can be said now, they use their weekends to serve and they're leading their friends to a better thing that will be more lasting than a weekend high. And they will praise God because of you. And this was formerly the family that was all jacked up. Man, they could never get their junk right. They can't communicate with each other. This dude can't keep a job. She can't stay out of rehab. What is going on with that family? They formerly used to be that. But now, they still got issues. But they have showed us that God can change people because we learn to see one another as God sees us and be patient and loving and work through situations the way that Jesus would lead us to work through. And guess what? They will praise God because of that family. And that could be just the epitaph of our life. That God can say, you were once broken, but I fixed you. And now you can live to show people my glory. And that, guys, that's freedom. That is freedom. Jesus made a lot of promises. I shared two of them with you already. Here's one of my most favorites. This is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus says, look, come to me, all of you who are burdened, who are weary, come to me and I will give you rest. That's a promise. I will give you rest. You take my yoke upon you. You learn from me. For I am gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you'll come to me. It's a promise. It's a promise of freedom. It's a promise of salvation. It's a promise of grace. It's a promise of newness. So picture it like you're 16 years old again, or you will be 16 in a few years, some of you. But this is a new license you receive, a license of spiritual freedom. And you can hop in the car of your life and back out of that driveway to go serve and live in the grace of God. And you got the music pumping and the windows down and the wind going in your hair because, whoo, I've been set free. Not bound by who I used to be, not bound by the struggles, not bound by the expectations and the guilt that I throw on myself because I just can't get it right all the time. But the freedom that is there because Jesus gives me freedom. It's the freedom from your past. And a welcome to a new life that only Jesus can give. Unchained. Guys, that's Galatians chapter 1. I'd love to pray for us this morning. God, you're good and thank you for freedom. Um, so often I just step back and I'm stunned that you would, that you would use me, that you would, be considered, that you would consider me one of your own. Um, I know so many of us have that same like, feeling where I'm not good enough, or I'm not smart enough, and yeah, we're not. We're not, but we don't have to be because of your grace and your forgiveness and your love. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for his transparency. I thank you for his willingness to really put himself on the line, throw himself under the bus a little bit and say, hey, I, I haven't been perfect, but God has shown me another way. Lord, I pray right now over this church family. I pray for freedom. We got a lot of things that chain us up. I pray that you can help us be unchained. And, and those other things I mentioned, the kind of more temporal, physical things, whether it's you know, financial 
bondage or, or relationship problems or the pain or addiction or hurt of whatever sort. God, I just pray that you can help us dig, dig, dig to the bottom of that and get to the foundation of our freedom, which is knowing who you are and knowing that you will help us dig through the rest. Let's bring that to you as an offering today. We love you. We pray it in Jesus' name.